Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Thank you for joining us twice a month as we continue our investigation of potential financial crises. Let's get into the ingredients so we can plan for the upcoming year and vote on policies that are the most beneficial. We're starting today with one of those major trends that defines much of the elevated risks, and the name of that trend is debt monetization. Don't worry, this is not a theory discussion. It's about real history and data. What does it mean to monetize the debt? In a few words, this means merely print the dollars to pay off your debts. If we as individuals did this, we'd be in jail for counterfeiting, but the Federal Reserve may do it legally. As the U.S. borrows more and more, above the amount of money it takes in from taxes. Our government just orders more paper and ink. Maybe it costs as much as a dollar to print a $100 bill. Each year, as the federal deficit has spending of more than $1 trillion in excess of revenue, our treasury issues more government debt and then pays it off with more printing press dollars. Today, we'll tell you what's wrong with this picture and how this continued practice can create the next financial crisis. If everyone in the United States all at once would get a 20% raise, would prices we pay for rent, groceries, entertainment, cars, and so forth be expected to stay the same? I'm including everyone in this scenario. Those out of work would get the same raise in their benefits. Those on food stamps and social programs would get the same 20% raise. I think we can agree that if our entire population received this raise of an increase in incomes by 20%, it could be expected to increase prices by about the same percent. So ultimately, everyone as a group would have no real benefit. The key word here is ultimately, since in the very short term, the quick spenders or investors could buy at lower prices until everyone participates and prices noticeably ramp up. Investors are included as this increase in cash liquidity would also bid up stock prices. There's a time element, but increases in money supply increase prices. This is important, and it's important to understand that our historical 2 to 4% inflation rate each year has come from this area. Inflation, in my opinion, as previously discussed, is running higher than the historically reported 2 to 4%. But for now, let's just accept this range as one pretty much all Americans are used to hearing. Today's question, are we in a transition zone of higher money supply increases? Likely yes, in my view. And if this proves to be the case this year, how will our financial markets react? Let's start with a bit of history. There are numerous examples of central banks giving in to printing money that is needed to buy their own government's debt. For decades, our government has done the same, but at levels low enough to barely be noticed. We've entered a very different period in the new millennium. For the past 10-plus years, government spending above its annual tax revenues has doubled the amount of U.S. Treasury bills, Treasury notes, and Treasury bonds. In fact, the U.S. national debt has doubled in each of the past two decades, and we continue on this path. Why should we care? The poster children are often mentioned as pre-war Germany, Zimbabwe, 
which, by the way, now issues a $100 trillion bill that's worth about $5 in the United States as a collectible, and Argentina from time to time. Did you know that the U.S. has its own examples in addition to the printing of Confederate currency? In 1791, Congress created what is now referred to as the First Bank of the U.S., which had a 20-year lifetime. Then, in 1836, Congress tried again by creating the Second National Bank of the United States. Both banks failed as both reportedly followed the path of monetization, that is, creating new money to buy new government debt, which is like borrowing from yourself to buy your own IOUs. It's too bad you and I by ourselves can't legally print new $100 bills to repay our personal debts. But imagine that it's legal and everyone does it via proper U.S. authorities. The Federal Reserve, as created by Congress in 1913, actually does that, and it's responsible for our money supply, money creation. This is overly simplified, but if the Federal Reserve, on behalf of all of us, prints more and more money to buy the increasing debt of the U.S. Treasury to enable the U.S. to keep spending in excess of its revenue, we are on a monetization track which keeps adding to the money supply and adding to more total debt, even as the interest rate on the debt each year adds more to the total debt. In other words, we just pay off our debt holders with dollars effectively created by a printing press, whether it's a real printing press or a virtual printing press. At what point is monetization unsustainable? The brief answer is when our large debt holders, like China, stop buying U.S. debt. And at the same time, when the 24 primary dealers have problems reselling the new debt to investors. This is an early warning signal, and this is where we are here and now. A more extreme point would occur when private and foreign investors realize that the new U.S. debt issued requires a much higher interest rate to compensate for future inflation expectations. Why would anyone invest even $10,000 over a 10-year term to gain only a 15 to 2% interest rate return, which is what our 10-year Treasury note pays right now? Because 10 years from now, the $10,000 returned would buy less than what it buys today if inflation is 3%, 4%, or 5% or higher. These purchasing power losses are real losses. And where are we today? Consumers and investors are recognizing that the $4 trillion on the Fed's balance sheet, plus a recent half trillion dollars of new cash to support the repo market, plus another $1 trillion annual budget deficit, is effectively supplying the financial markets with essentially new cash from a printing press. We are not yet at the point where most consumers and investors see that we are more and more simply printing new dollars to buy our own debt. The Federal Reserve has had to continue providing hundreds of billions of dollars to the primary dealers through the repo market. Perhaps as a consequence, these primary dealers, who are generally the world's largest money center banks, can also use this newfound liquidity for other purposes. For example, We've all heard that bank reserves have a multiplier effect on loans. In brief, banks can create loans through financial leverage. However, they can also use the financial leverage to buy stock indices like the Standard & Poor's 500, the basket of stocks, which hits a new high almost every day. Here's the biggest takeaway for your personal financial planning. A continuing upramp in dollar liquidity continues to support the increase in stock prices and low interest rates.
look at the market liquidity as being far more important than traditional market metrics like price earnings ratios and the like. Most investors have their own thoughts about evaluating a stock investment or a portfolio, and most have ridden the wave of their retirement accounts going up and up, but consider that the future may be more determined by a small number of very large money managers and banks that are feeding off the creation of more dollars and engineered low interest rates. The risk, similar to the mortgage industry security meltdown about 10 years ago that created the global financial crisis, are beyond the comprehension of most people. The risks are in the money supply mechanisms today, not the individual stocks and bonds. Please consider this scenario, which is most likely our present scenario in my view. The primary dealers must buy for resale hundreds of billions of dollars of U.S. securities every month. If some large dollar amount of these securities cannot be sold at today's interest rates, these dealers keep the securities but must pledge them for cash in the repo market. The Federal Reserve wants to keep interest rates from rising for many reasons, including avoiding the ramp-up of interest rates payable by our own government on its own debt. So the Fed makes new monies available in the repo market to the primary dealers. These dealers have a lot of uses for new cash from repo transactions, including participating in the stock market through allowable transactions, including derivatives. There is a school of thought that our stock market continues to benefit in a major way by increases in money center bank liquidity. Let's again bring up Japan and the Bank of Japan, which is Japan's Federal Reserve. The Japan monetary authorities have been executing exactly this strategy, which has now made the government a significant minority shareholder in many of Japan's largest publicly traded companies. Could the same thing be occurring in a slightly different form in the United States? In my view, yes, it could. Let's go now to the bottom line. Our election is almost upon us. Here's what we know that impacts today's discussion. The present administration is lining up another round of tax cuts focusing on another corporate tax reduction. The other party has no platform or candidate even talking about a balanced budget, but instead is engaged in more social spending ideas, whether they are health care, unemployment, or broad-based new social programs. This podcast is not political, so here's the takeaway. More government borrowing ahead to support more deficits with an increasing need for the Federal Reserve to ramp up their monetization actions. In total, asset prices will continue to get pumped up by increased liquidity. So what's wrong with this? What's wrong is the same thing that was wrong about the 10-year-ago financial meltdown and subsequent Great Recession. The money pumping and monetization is not sustainable. The big money will inevitably rush to the other side of the boat well before we're aware that this is happening. It'll be fast when it happens, so we must get prepared. Before we wrap up, there's one more influence which is so negative for our future financial markets, and that influence likely escapes most people's thoughts. A liquidity trap. We'll include this in our next podcast but you may want to Google the words liquidity trap, which in a nutshell involves a pullback in consumer spending and business investing, regardless of how low interest rates or borrowing costs become. Let's close today with a Japan example. 
Japan has been in a liquidity trap for decades. One outcome is that the Nikkei stock index fell from a record high close to 40,000 about 25 years ago to just under 23,000 this year. Another outcome is the Bank of Japan has further supported their stock market by buying 5% to 10% of the stock in Japan's leading companies. The point is that pumping money into the economy by itself may not stimulate growth and may not even keep a stock market high. We're not Japan, but U.S. government financial leadership is running out of possible solutions to avert the next crisis. So preparation logically would include lightening up on stocks as an investment and lightening up on long-term bond investments. Secondly, avoidance of any adjustable rate debt, whether that's consumer debt or business debt. Third, locking in needed long-term debt if you need to have debt, but do it at today's fixed rates. For 2020, it seems likely that present government policies are locked in with higher inflation reports and higher interest rates in our more immediate future. The fact that we're in an election year and confidence in government is declining only adds to risks of a black swan type of event. An example of a black swan event is the prior mortgage meltdown and Great Recession about 10 years ago. Technically, a black swan event is an event that has incredible magnitude, but a very low probability of occurring, so most people don't even think about it. As a final thought, I would encourage you to look more to the U.S. debt auctions and the Federal Reserve activities. Their repo financing is usually publicized a week or so after they undertake it. Their balance sheet growth can be observed, and that is usually buying additional government securities, which we just talked about. Understanding better the actual buyers of U.S. debt. This is a little bit hard to get to, but there is a treasury report called the TIC report, T-I-C report, which month to month shows the official holdings of U.S. debt securities and has a long history. And that's where you'll see China has not been increasing their debt holdings. Uh, I would encourage you to Google U.S. Treasury tick report and become familiar with who the buyers are of our U.S. debt. Some of these buyers are publicized on a real-time basis. Unfortunately, these topics are not covered in the daily news, any news, and they're not highlighted. So it takes a little bit of research and a little bit of Googling. I would look at these areas as much more important than traditional stock market indicators like price earnings ratios and market to book values, among others. Next episode, we ask, where are we now? With reference to inflation, GNP, jobs and future jobs, and of course, the financial markets as they impact your borrowing costs and investment returns. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcasts. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. 
For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.